are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and if I could ask all the young people in here to do me a favor and sit up real tall and straight and watch right up here and don't throw anything around and kick your feet and talk and shoot spit wads and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Should you think they're awful for doing that? No, I used to shoot spit wads when I was their age too. But do any of you guys ever do that? Come on now, be honest. Yeah. No, 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 I don't mean the kids. I mean the adults. Yeah. I know you do. There's no doubt. Okay, Chris. Chris, how come I believe that? I just... Yeah, you, you look like the champion spitwad blower of all time back there. <laughs> okay, well, I like you. You're, on my, you're my kind of guy. But uh, So everybody just sort of step straight and listen. And let's ask God to just really speak to our hearts this morning. The Gospel of John chapter 3. You're all going to know the verse when I give it to you, but nonetheless, we're going to look at it together this morning. Verse number 16. Actually, before that, our verses 14 and 15, I'd like to read for you if you look there. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Father, bless now the preaching of the book today. Lord, I need You. I I cannot stand here and be Your ambassador if I don't have You actually giving me what You want me to say. I want to represent you well. And you've given me the book. You've given me the Word of God. And I will do my best to impart this to your people today. But Lord, there might be someone here that's not saved. And I pray today be the day that they come to know Christ as Savior. I ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. I was saved March 13, 1968 at the Hadley Baptist Church in Hadley, Michigan. The Hadley Baptist Church is a church that I guess was about the size of this one right here. It, uh, I think, ran somewhere between 100, 150 maybe on some better days, but about the size of your church right here. They had an evangelist come in. No, I'm sorry, he wasn't an evangelist. He was a pastor in Canada. His name was Pastor Street. And he came in and preached a revival meeting, a, a, a Sunday through Wednesday revival meeting, And I was saved on Wednesday night of that revival meeting. Son, uh, right over here that's got your head covered up with your T-shirt. There you go. You've got such a pretty face. Please don't cover it up. I want to see it. A little bit of sarcasm there. But uh, no, he's a handsome young man. I like him. But I can't help you if you've got your head covered up with a T-shirt. Chris, take the tie down off your face. But no, how come I'm picking on you today? But... He made such good tri-tip yesterday, too. I ought to be on your side. I am. I'm going to reform my ways right now. The salsa. I had heartburn to midnight last night from that stuff. But, 
When, uh, shortly after I was saved, I, I, I became good friends with a fellow by the name of Doug Hewison in our church. Another teenage boy, about my, matter of fact, we're the same age. Our birthdays are four days apart. And uh, Doug bought me a, a, a record, a gospel record. It was the first gospel record I'd ever had in my life. Prior to that, I'd been in a rock and roll band and... And all my, I played in a rock and roll band and uh, played for dances and all that kind of stuff and all the high school dances and, and so forth. And so the very first gospel record I ever had in my life, Doug Hewison bought for me after I trusted the Lord as my Savior on that Wednesday night. On that record, matter of fact, it was the old Blackwood Brothers. Some of you may have listened to them back before they, they went rocky. But uh, the, 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 back, the Blackwood brothers today are not the same as they were back in, uh, back in the 60s. But uh, the, the old Blackwood brothers, and they had a song on there. The first time I ever heard it in my life, I sat down in the living room where Mom and Dad had their, uh, their stereo player, and I wept like a baby. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I never cried. I was the old, uh, as I talked about in Sunday school, I was the football player. You don't cry. You're not a wimp. You're, and to cry when your man's a sissy, you know. Uh, but I sat there when that song came on, and I cried like a baby. The words that I will never forget, I memorized them as a 16-year-old teenager, and they've been with me throughout all these years. The words of the song... Focus your attention upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. Here's what they said. As the Savior was walking up Calvary's hill, all the birds stopped their singing. The leaves stood still. The flowers in the fields bowed their lovely head while the Savior to Calvary was led. They put nails in His hands pierced his precious side. And the pain was so great that tears filled his eyes, yet he spoke not a word till the last breath he drew. Then he prayed, Father, they know not what they do. Tell me why. Tell me why did Jesus die on Calvary? Tell me why did he suffer such agony? And then one of their quartet members came on and in answer to why did he die for us, he simply quoted the verse we read together a moment ago. I can still hear him say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is why Jesus died for you and for me. Someone has said, some songwriter has said, Tell me the old, old story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. You know what I find that the longer I preach... And the more years that I mature as a Christian, the more precious this story becomes to my heart. The story of what God did for us on the cross. You know, when you think about the love that God had for us, and it says, for God so loved the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when you, when you went to high school, guys, and maybe even college, but especially in high school, 
And maybe some of the girls that were in school that were not quite as, uh, you didn't maybe necessarily think they were attractive. If they came up to you and said, you know, you're really handsome. And there's this girl standing there, and, and she's not really, as a, to you, she's not attractive. Somebody else, she probably would be. You know how we all have different tastes. But to you, maybe she's not attractive. That would mean nothing to you, the fact that this girl that's not attractive to you, saying, hey, you know, I really think you're quite a hunk. I really think you're handsome. Well, that wouldn't mean anything to you. But you let that uh, captain of the cheerleading squad or whatever come walking up next to you at the locker, and you're there trying to get out your geography book, and she says, Hey, big fella, you look, you're talking to me. Yeah, you're handsome. Man, you had blushed all kinds of red. I don't know if you ever had, none of us in this room probably ever had the captain of the cheerleading squad say that to us, so right now we're just totally going on imagination. But, uh, you know, there's something about somebody loving you, realizing who they are, that makes that love mean something to you. I recall when I was standing at the blackboard at Howes Anderson College, Miss Bostead had just asked me to diagram a sentence. It was about 14 words long, and, and I was supposed to find the subject and the noun and the predicate nominative and, and uh, the, the gerunds and the participles and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to do it then, don't know how to do it now, don't care now. But I cared then. I was standing at the blackboard trying to figure out which... Uh, gerund was split and which participle was dangling and all the rest of the stuff that we're able to do to the English language. And she said, uh, and I want another person over here. And she said, and I'd like Shirley Nugent to come over to this part of the blackboard. Man, I saw Shirley Nugent come standing over there next to me at the blackboard. And all of a sudden, I didn't care about the sentence anymore. All I could see was this beautiful, gorgeous, sweet, Christian young lady. Back in those days, long, 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 brown, dark brown hair, well down below her waist, and uh, just a little bit of a wisp of a thing. And I was up there trying to find the noun. This is why I find a noun when I found this. And uh, good night. But she was dating a fellow by the name of Keith McKinney. Now, I had a problem there because Keith McKinney's mama was Dr. Hiles' personal secretary. And I thought, man, you know, that's sort of some heavy-duty connections there. I, and I'm just, I'm just some guy here in the college. I, I don't have anything. You know, so I thought, well, that's it. But I told my buddy, I says, if she ever breaks up with that Keith McKinney, I'm moving in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right in there and see if I can get her to go out with me. She is about the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. Found out later she'd been the homecoming queen for the Hammond Baptist High School uh, when she was a senior in high school. And uh, I, I just said, boy, I got no hope. But one day I saw her walking down the, down the, down the, uh, the aisleway of the college, the hallway there. And she was had a sad look on her face and was wiping tears out of her eyes. And I poked my buddy, my brother, buddy, Dan Carroll. I says, hey, it looks to me, that's the kind of look you get on your face when you had a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you broke up. I said, I think they broke up. She said, oh, no, maybe, maybe something else. I said, no, no, that's a, that's a broke up sign if I ever saw one right there. They just broke up. And sure enough, it began to go around the college. Keith McKinney and Shirley Nugent broke up. Wow, I was excited. I mean, I was heartbroken. Uh, no, I was excited. And you know what? I, I was trying to plan a way to ask her out for a date. But something happens to a guy 
when there's someone that he really thinks is just top-notch and he's getting ready to ask her out for a date, he gets lockjaw. He gets a big old yellow streak down his back. Hello. Uh, somebody's trying to get out of the baptistry. He gets a big old yellow streak down his back and, and he becomes frightened and tongue-tied. And that's what happened to me. So one day, I was in the dining hall and the telephone rang. Payphone. Let me give you a hint. When the payphone rings anywhere in the world, it's not for you. You've been walking down the hallway at a mall and the payphone rang and, and, and you were tempted for just a second to answer it. Payphones are never for you. They're, you know, they're just never for you. But the phone rang and it rang and it rang and it rang and it rang. And so I went over to answer the phone and said, Hello, this is Wally Davis. You've reached the dining hall at House Anderson College. Hello. <laughs> Sound like you fell in. There's a sauna back there. Everybody else wants to, just going back there. But uh, uh, the, thing, the thing was really ringing off the wall. So I went over and answered the phone. Look right up here. Went over and answered the phone. And they said, hello, is George Vandermeulen there? Well, if George Vandermeulen was anywhere in the area, you knew he was there because he had a big mouth. I said, I haven't heard George, so I don't think he's here. I said, the, the, the girl on the other line, her name was Paula, um, Paula Hubler. I said, why? Do you need a date? I was being kind of, I'm, I'm bashful. And uh, I said, do you need a date? And I was being kind of sarcastic because I knew that she was already dating somebody else. She said, well, actually, I don't need one. She said, but uh, Don and I are going to go out for pizza and the, the college rules were you couldn't go anywhere without a chaperone and double dating and so forth. They said, we're, we, we, we want somebody to go with us so we can, we can be together and it'll be all right with the rules of the college back in those days. I said, well, I said, I might be available. Who is it that's going to go on this double date? And she said, do you know Shirley Nugent? I said, you're kidding. I diagrammed a sentence with her one day. I said, Shirley Nugent is the one that's going to be going? And she said, yes. And I said, I am available right now. And so I went, the first date we ever had. And boy, from there, it just, it just got better. And I got to know her better. She got to know me. And so we dated throughout the rest of that college year. And then the summertime came, and I went out on evangelistic tour like I'm doing now. Only then, uh, of course, as a single young man. And so uh, we would write back and forth. The pastors would get letters at the building where at the church where I was preaching. And he would always come. He, this one pastor in particular came up on the platform during the meeting like this, making announcements. He said, oh, by the way, he pulled this letter out of his pocket. And he said, oh, he said, this smells great. Oh, he said, this thing has just been drenched in perfume. And it's to Evangelist Wally Davis from Shirley Nugent. And, of course, I sat back there, and I was wanting to kill him. And uh, I just got embarrassed and turned all red, and I got that letter. I couldn't wait to read. Now, here the problem was he handed it to me on the platform. I couldn't read it then. I was about ready to preach. I didn't preach very good because my mind was on the letter in my pocket. And the perfume just filled. The aroma was there coming up out of the letter in my pocket. I, I, boy, as soon as I said amen, I ran out to the car and got the letter, ripped it open, and read the thing. I was excited. Why? Because I loved her. And she was beautiful. And I was going to ask her to be my wife. I never will forget that day when I stood down at the front of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, and her pastor, my wife, had been saved 
at the First Baptist Church in Hammond when she was 10 as a bus child. And uh, her pastor, Dr. Jack Hiles, stood there beside me, and I stood over here. My best man, Den Carroll, stood next to me. And I watched her daddy bring her down that aisle, she on his arm. And they stood down the front. Brother Hiles said, Who gives the bride away? And her father said, Her mother and I do. And I went down there and put out my left arm, and I walked her up onto that platform. And there we stood and exchanged our vows one to another. And Brother Hiles pronounced us husband and wife. I was then, and I am now, the most thrilled, happy man on the face of God's world. Why? Because I have the love of Shirley, now Davis. I was thrilled. I was able to marry someone that had all of their teeth. I always thought, I always thought, man, Davis, you're just going to have to, you know, somebody from the, from the hills of Kentucky somewhere with a corncob pipe hanging out of their mouth and sitting in a rocking chair with a cat on her lap and no teeth and, and uh, you know, just you know, grotesque looking or something, you know, big giant warts all over her face. And uh, that, that, that's the best I'm ever going to be able to get, you know. But wow, I got Shirley Nugent and my wife, and I was so thrilled to have the love of someone like that. I can I can tell you I can tell you one a billion times more amazing than that. Would you like to hear it? God loves me. God. God loves you. I'm amazed sometimes at the friendship I have with Dr. Jack Treber. Have you ever had him here, preacher? Uh, no, sir. Yeah. Well, one of these days, that would be great if he could come down here and meet your church. Built a great church. Is building a great church there in Santa Clara, averaging 1,600 in attendance. Last May the, May the 6th, we had 5,504 in attendance on one Sunday. And he's my friend. He has me over to his house, and I have him over to my house, and we go places together, and we go out to eat together. I mean, wow, he's my friend. I, I can't believe that sometimes. The other day, when I was down at Brother uh, Paul Chapel's out in the high desert country there in Lancaster, and it was his fifth anniversary Sunday, Brother, Brother Paul Chapel came up to me and said, Brother Davis, uh, when Brother Howes finishes preaching on Tuesday night, we have to get him back to the airport. His plane leaves at midnight, and it's about an hour and a half ride. He said, my staff member is going to take him, but he's nervous because he won't know what to talk about. And he said, you've got to send somebody with me. I'm nervous. And he said, would you go with him? I said, man, I'd be glad to go. And I got back there and sat down in the back seat with Brother Howes in the car, and he looked over at me and said, now, Wally, he said, how's Shirley doing? I said, she's doing fine, Brother Hiles. He said, now tell me about your ministry. What's going on? And we talked there for a while. And he gave me some, some, uh, some advice and some, uh, uh, some hints of some things maybe I, I could do that, that would make uh, my ministry even more effective than, than uh, what if it has been effective at all. And, and I said, I thank you for that, Brother Hiles. And, and, and when he got out of the car and I carried his luggage out of the trunk, he hugged me and said, Wally, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're one of my preacher boys. And I, I got back in the car and I thought, man, that's, that's great. Uh, every, every young preacher boys, I remember sitting in Bible college, having that on my mind. I'd like to know these men. And now these men consider me friends and they know me and, and spend time with me and invest their lives in me. I'm thrilled, but let me tell you something. I can do one better than that. God loves me. God loves you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, For God so loved the world. 
Do you know what? That's divine love. That's divine love. That the one that loves you, son, and the one that loves you, son, and the one that loves you, sir, and the one that loves me, church, is none other than God Almighty. Think about the one that loves you for a few moments. He's the one that spoke into existence the universe. He framed the worlds and hung the stars in space. Caused the sun to go into the sky as a blazing source of heat. And caused the moon to hang in the night sky as a soft way to light our way in the night evenings. God is the one that dipped out in the ground with His hands a, a place for the oceans. And God is the one that caused the mountain peaks to come rising like spiraling giants out of the desert sand. And God put whispering pines on top of them and covered their world in green grass and tacked them down with golden daffodils. God is the one that loves me. Boy, I don't want to get over that. I can't get over it and I neither do I ever want to get over that. The fact that God is the one that's doing the loving here. I don't know if that ever gets hold of your heart. I remember sitting down one night with my daughters. And Amy asked me a question. She says, Dad, why does God love us so much? I never had anybody ask me that question before. And she said, and Dad, while we're talking about God... Who is He? She said, I, I know who He is. She said, I know He's God, but where did He come from? What's He like? And man, for about 30 minutes, I was able to sit there with my daughters and my wife and just talk about the goodness of God and who He is. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is all-caring. God loves us. God's the one that spoke everything into existence. God is the one that sustains our life. God is the one that gives us food on our table. God gives us health for us to go out and be able to work. God is the one that gives us a, a mind that we might be able to think and a body with which we might be able to play and, 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 and a mouth with which we might be able to speak. And God gave us our languages and God gave us the Word of God that we might know about Him and who He is. And when you stop and think about it, that's an amazing thing that this God loves me. And this God loves you. For God so loved. First of all, the divine love. Secondly, I want you to see the super abounding love. That little statement, two words long. So loved. God so loved. Loved. The word so loved there is a statement of intensity. If you ever, my, my nieces, whenever I go back to Hammond and they come to, they, we, we meet, each, meet at my, my wife's mom's house and all the family gathers in. And little Kelly comes running in there and I'll say, come here, Kelly. And she'll come running over and throw her arms around my neck and I'll hug her and I'll say, I just love you so much. Well, I squeeze her. You know what I'm saying? That little word, so much, is, it's, a, it's a descriptive term to tell. It's just, oh, it's a statement of intensity. And the Bible here says, God so loved the world. It's a statement of intensity. If you can imagine for just a moment the love that you have for your own family. I thought today... Uh, that early this morning, I looked at my looked at my watch, and and uh, I uh, I saw that it was time that my daughter Heather at seven thirty this morning was getting on a bus. 
was going out in the Santa Clara, San Jose area and was working on, on a bus route helping get boys and girls to come to Sunday school. At 8.30, I looked at my watch and I said, now it's time that my wife is going down to church for an early practice. Uh, she sings in uh, trios and duets and, and different singing groups and stuff. And one of them meets on Sunday morning at 8.30. And I thought about my wife going down there at 8.30 uh, to, to practice for the song. And uh, then I looked at my watch right about 10 o'clock, the same time we're starting here for Sunday school. And I thought about my wife standing up in front of the 11th and 12th grade teenage girls and teaching the, uh, the uh, senior high 11th and 12th grade uh, teenage girls department, and I thought about her and prayed for her and asked God to give her this morning what she needed to teach the Sunday school class. I thought about uh, at 10 o'clock, my daughter Amy was going to sit down in the junior high department, and she was playing the opening uh, songs on the piano, and she was playing uh, the, the birthday songs and stuff like we did here this morning. They're doing the same thing there, and I thought about her playing the piano, and I thought about the fact that Heather was playing this morning, my oldest daughter was playing for a singing group that was going to sing in the... In the uh, in the senior high uh, youth department opening. And I just, I, man, my heart just got full as I thought about my family that God has given to me and how much I love them, how much I miss them when I'm away like this and how I wish that uh, there was just a way that we could be together constantly every part of the day, every day of the week, every week of the year, every year of the decade. I mean, why? Because I love them so much. But you know what? As much as I love them, doesn't begin to approach how much God loves you. No way. No way can we as mortal human beings understand that statement, God so loved. Think about those little children. The little young ones that toddle up to you and put their arms around your neck and kiss you on the cheek and say, I love you, Daddy. By the way, it ought to be against the law for little girls to be able to do that to their fathers. Because they can get anything they want after that. And I'm against it. But at the time they do it, I'm powerless and I can't do anything about it. The other day, my daughter came over to me and she said, Dad, I want... I want you to read this note. I don't know if it's in this coat or not. No, I have it one of the suit coats. And she gave me a Will Clark baseball card. On the back of the Will Clark baseball card, she said, Dad, I'd really like to go with Sarah swimming at her house. They have a little swimming pool in the backyard for the girls to go swimming in. I'd really like to go swimming at Sarah's house uh, uh, this afternoon. And, Dad... If you if, if if you tell me no, I won't pout. I'll still I'll still love you. But Dad, if you'll let me go, you can you can have this Will Clark baseball card. Well, the little thing didn't understand. She didn't need to give me Will Clark's baseball card. Just a peck on the cheek would have done the job. I didn't want her to know that. Don't you ever tell her I said that either. But why? Because I so love my girls. And God looked down from heaven and he inspired the penning of the words of the Gospel of John to say, God so loved. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who? It's understandable why I stand here and say, I so love Shirley because I described her to you and she's beautiful and she is. You can understand that. 
And I say, I so love my daughters, and my daughters are sweet and precious, and, and if I might say so, they're, they're, they're kind of pretty. Any of you, any of you, any of you boys meet them at youth conference? Good. I don't want you to. But uh, <laughs> I want to lock them in the closet and throw away the key, man. All these guys at church, they, they sit with me when I'm home. And I always sit in the same pew unless some idiot gets in it before I get there. No, I always sit in the same pew. And uh, the reason is, it's not that I am, I'm a creature of habit. My, I'm six feet four inches long. And uh, there is a pew there at the church that's over. Some of you folks that have been in our auditorium, you know where the stairway comes down from the balcony? They left an aisleway there so that people had room to walk when you come down the, the stairway into the main auditorium. And there's a pew there that's on the other side of the aisleway. So you can stretch, I can stretch out as far as I can without my feet hitting the pew in front of me. So I always like that seat right there. So I'm sitting there in that seat, and Heather's sitting next to me. She'll be 15, and Amy's sitting next to Heather. These guys, all, they, they, they come, I call, it the, I call it the hover mode. They're in the hover mode. They come walk, they'll walk around the pew four or five times, back and forth, back and forth, looking. And they look at me, and I sort of glare back at them like. <laughs> now, it worries me that they might be doing more than hovering since I'm not there. They might actually stop and talk. I'm against that. I don't think it's right with I don't think it's anything that needs to be going on right now until my daughters are 35, at least. But, uh, I mean, I think they're beautiful. And, and God has given me a wonderful family. And as I describe them to you, you can sit there and say, Okay, I understand why old Davis likes his family so much, and why he loves his wife so much, and why he loves his daughter so much. But when we stop to examine who it is that God loved, the answer is not so evident as to why he does. Look at this. God so loved who? The world. The world. The world is the crowd that crucified His Son. And God said, I love you. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So, uh, the best situation that man has never been able to duplicate from that time till now, even with all of our technology and all of our engineers and all of our design and all of our architecture, all, all of our architects and uh, everything that we have going for us in science, we've never been able to duplicate what God gave to us in the Garden of Eden. And yet, when man was in the Garden of Eden, and God says, all I ask you to do is not to partake of the tree, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And man said, I don't care what you said. We're going to do what we want to do anyhow. And from that moment to now, we've been saying to God, I don't care. God sent His Son down to the world, born of a virgin in the manger in a stable, out behind an inn in Bethlehem. A man said, I don't care about that. God let His Son grow up in this world a sinless life, lived 33 and a half years and went about doing good. He fed the, uh, the hungry and raised up the dead and healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind and unstopped the ears of the deaf. And man said, I don't care about that. We still don't love your Son. God provided for mankind as He walked out in the wilderness. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to show them the way He wanted them to go. And man said, I don't care. God rained manna down out of heaven to feed them when they were hungry. And man said, I don't care. And God caused water to come forth out of barren dry rocks. And man said, I don't care. And God spoke the words that we're talking here now. Then He says, I love you. And man said, I don't care. And when God sent the most precious thing that the universe has ever been able to have existing inside of its walls, God's Son, born of a virgin, 
down to this world. Man could not wait to get his hands upon him and put him on the cross and hold him there with nails that were driven through his body into the cross beams of that old wooden cross. Man could not wait to come and grab hold of his beard. Isaiah chapter 15 verse 6 says, And rip the beard out of his face by the very roots of his hair. Man could not wait to plant a crown of thorns and thrust that crown of thorns down upon Jesus' head. Man said, I don't care, God, what you've done for me. Let us kill your son. And we did. God gave us the book called the Holy Bible to read. And sad to say, but even perhaps some people in this room this morning spend not even five minutes a day in this book. In other words, we've just simply said, well, thanks, but I don't really care. God has given us the privilege of coming to Him in prayer, but very few of God's people pray. Now, we didn't say, God, we hate you, but in essence, we've said, well, God, thanks, but, but, but no thanks. We, we don't really care to pray. And yet God looked down upon that crowd and He said, you're the ones that I love. You are the ones that I love. <coughs> Could I tell you something? I, okay. The other day, being in the city area like we are, we get all kinds of weirdos in our church. Staff evangelists notwithstanding. We get all kinds of weirdos in our church. A weirdo came into our church the other day. I mean, son, would you not kick it? There you go. Uh, he, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what his problem was. He's, I, well, I do too. He's a pervert. Not saved. And churches have them come in like they're once in a while. They're just scoping out, seeing what kind of ladies and what kind of girls are there. And this weirdo came in, and I wasn't there. I heard about it later. Came in, stood next to my daughter. She was sitting in the... We had some pews out in the foyer. And she was sitting on one of those pews. And this guy came over and sat down next to her and said, Hi, how old are you? My daughter is so naive. She said, Oh, I'm 15. He, she didn't know that this guy was a, a pervert. He was probably in his mid-twenties. When a mid-twenty-year-old sits down next to a teenager and says, How old are you? It's none of his stinking business. Just shut up and get out of here. He said, How old are you? He said, Oh, I'm 15. Well, I'll be 15, 14 now. Be 15 in August. He said, You sure are pretty. Well, when he said that, a little flag went up in her mind. She said, Oh, well. Maybe this isn't... And she was there. Only only one other person was there in the, in the foyer at that time. She got up and, and uh, left the foyer and said, Well, excuse me, sir. said, Your class is right in here. I've got to go to my class now. And she, she got up to go to her high school department. He followed her. Followed her all the way down to the door. And he said, Hey, why don't you sit with me? And she said, I'm going into this class, and you go down that class there. He said, well, sit with me during the preaching service. She said, excuse me, I can't do that. And he harassed her. I won't go into the rest of it. He harassed her. Now, I want to tell you something right now. You say, Brother Davis, if, uh, 
if that thing had progressed, he had gone on and done something wrong to her physically, do you think you would have loved him? Are you kidding? Matter of fact, he already did enough to get me against him right now. When my daughter told me about that when I got back home and we were in church, I said, where is he? I was looking around for him. I was on the hunt. I was going to go over and say, you keep your eyes and your mouth off of our teenage girls. Matter of fact, just hit the street if that's all you're in here for. You, you don't belong here. Well, I told uh, the head of our security. He's a state policeman. His name is uh, McKenzie. I said, uh, Brother McKenzie, I said, I want my daughter to describe this guy to you. I said, I don't want, I, I said, I don't want your shadow off of him when he, he walks back in his building. He came back. McKenzie went over and said, Buddy, he said, I'm a state policeman. He said, I want you to give me your name. I want to call our records department and see exactly who you are. The guy evaporated, went out the door because <laughs> he had a record. You say, Brother Davis, you don't love that guy? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not God. I'm just Wally Davis with a 15-year-old daughter that had this creep hanging around her. I got to be now. If this hurts you, hurts me in your eyes, I'm sorry. I don't love that. I, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say, I don't love him. Now I want him saved. And I want him to get unperverted, and then we might have something to talk about. But in the condition that he was in, talking to my daughter, following her around, I don't love that buzzard. You say, well, that's wrong. Well, then mark it down that you found out one of my imperfections. I've got some more I'll tell you about later on this week. Well, see, we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't have that many. Uh, maybe Wednesday I'll tell you one other one that I got wrong. But... <laughs> no, honest truth is we'd have to have a long meeting if I was going to stay until about all my imperfections. But I don't love that. And I would imagine most daddies in this room are saying, yeah, Brother Davis, I agree. I, I don't like that either. But you know what? God sent His Son. And we took His Son and we killed His Son. Not only did we kill Him, but we brutalized Him. Beat him with the cat of nine tails, which was a wooden handle with nine leather straps coming out of it, with bits of broken pottery and sharpened bone tied on the end of the leather straps, and they whipped him with those with those cat of nine tails, and those pieces of pottery and bone would dig into the skin and rip the flesh off of the body. We brutalized him. We didn't just kill him, we brutalized him. And God looked down and said, Hey, you know what? You're just the crowd that I love. I love you. I don't know about you, but I'm dumbfounded by that statement. That God could love people who have done what collectively we have done in this room. God, divine love, so loved, statement of intensity. The world unmerited love that He gave His Son as sacrificial love. You know, a preacher friend of mine had a little girl that, matter of fact, she was 15, the age of my oldest daughter will be in a few days. She ran a bus route. My daughter works on a bus route. A fella set a trap for this little girl and molested her. 
stabbed her 37 times with a butcher knife, killed her. Sweet, precious little girl. This guy was a pervert that had been in jail and some judge let him out. I don't have time to tell you what I think about that. So these guys molest little girls. They ought to be in a situation where they'll never molest anybody else again the rest of their life because their life ought not to be very long after they get arrested. So, well, you believe in capital punishment. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The judge, the judge gave this guy a 12-year prison term. 12 years. He didn't even get one year for every year old the little girl was. Just wiped out a 15-year-old precious sweet little girl and got 12 years. That guy's, the, the little girl's daddy, who was not a Christian, did not go to church. When that sentence was given down, he went around behind the police, the, the, the courthouse where the police were taking this man back into a, a vehicle to carry him off to prison. When he came out the back door, that little girl's daddy opened up with a handgun, killed the guy. Now, I can't say that that was a course of action that father should have taken, but I can say this. I completely understand how he felt. Every daddy in this room probably does. And that's why I can't believe that when we did that to Jesus, that God did not come down with his baseball bat to beat our brains in. He said, I love you. You love us? After what we did to your son, you love us? Yeah, I love you. I love you so much that I gave you my son for the very purpose of dying on that cross to pay for your sins. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, young people. That's the most amazing thing I can imagine today. He said, God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Could I tell you something? God's not a Calvinist. Amen? Calvinists teach that Jesus died on the cross to pay only for the sins of a select few. And he did not pay for the sins of anybody else. Now, number one, that aggravates me because of this. Jesus suffered the sins of the entire world. And these guys that say, oh, no, 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 it was only for the sins of a few. You're, you're telling me that he didn't suffer as much as he really did, and that makes me mad. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's an all-inclusive love. God does not have some segregated golf course club membership where He says, only a select few of my chosen friends can come in. The rest of you stay outside the gates. It's not the kind of God we serve. 
The kind of God we serve says to anybody who will understand that you're a sinner and God died for you and Jesus died on the cross and gave His blood and He went to the tomb and rose again the third day and went back to the right hand of the Father in heaven and is coming again for those of us that believe on His name. God says anybody that believes that can be saved. That means the youngest child in this room that can understand today that Jesus loves them and that they are really an honest-to-goodness sinner that can understand the concept of sin can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. And God says, I will hear your prayer and I will save you. To the meanest, most despicable human being that anybody in this room could ever come in contact with. I don't know if it's true or not, I read in a reputable uh, Christian magazine uh, in the last few months that uh, Manuel Noriega had a Baptist preacher come to his prison cell in Florida and won him to Christ. And Noriega is now reading the Bible and witnessing and holding services in that jail, telling others about being saved. You say, well, that's, uh, he's just putting on a show. I don't know if that's true or not. Here's what I do know. I know when the Apostle Paul got saved, they said the same thing about him. They said, oh, don't let him come to our churches. He's just putting on a show. He's wanting to come in and capture us and kill us. And Barnabas had to go in and say, wait a minute. He's real. He's legitimate. I don't know that or not. I don't know if that's true. God in heaven knows. But if it is true, hallelujah, he got saved. And I don't know anybody, you and I think, anybody any meaner than that fellow was. But God saved him if his testimony be true. God can save anybody in this room. I don't care how mean. I don't care how low down. I remember a fellow by the name of Mr. Mead that said in our church services when I was youth pastor in Covey Hill Baptist Church outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mr. Mead had taken his own bare hands in a fit of rage in a drunken stupor one night and had taken his own bare hands and had choked his own wife to death. Crushed her larynx. Killed her. He was about 30-some years of age. He got out of prison when he was 64 years old. He had gotten saved in prison. And he came and sat in our church services there at Covey Hill Baptist Church. Came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, tithed, went out knocking on doors, soul winning, hollered amen while the preacher preached. You say, well, preacher, how in the world would God save someone like that? Well, that's the only kind of people God can save. Just wicked, old sinners. You may not have taken your hands and crushed anybody's throat and taken their life, but don't you ever forget, you're still a sinner. In the eyes of God, that's what He punishes. Sin. Rather it be murder, rather it be adultery, rather it be stealing, or lying, or swearing, or cheating, God punishes sin. And he said, I love you so much that I sent my son to die for your sin. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christian, I wish today I somehow could open up your heart and cause you to fall head over heels in love with this God. Once again, I'll tell you what happens to us. 
It's like saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. After a while, we throw our hands over our heart and our mouth kicks into gear and we're saying the words while we look around the baseball field and our minds are... Th- uh, the words come out while we're looking around seeing who's out there in the baseball field. And our, our thoughts are no more on the, on, the, on the Pledge of the Flag than anything in the whole world. The same thing happens to you and I as Christians. Our Bible goes into our hands and off we go to church and we sit in church service. And if you're not careful, you can go to church, you can be saved, you can put your tithe in the offer plate when it comes by, and you can be as backslidden as the devil's third cousin as far as your love for God. The reverence is gone. The dedication is gone. That deep feeling inside your heart that makes that you once had about loving God is not there anymore. If I could somehow today, I'd open up your heart's door and push the reset button and cause all of us in this room to fall head over heels back in love. Our first love we had for God when we first got saved. Maybe today, when you realize how much it is that He loves you, maybe... Maybe that's enough to get you back full in love with Him again. Secondly, for that person that sits in this room, look up here, please. If you're not sure that you're going to heaven when you die, hear what I'm going to say to you right now. God paid the penalty for your sin. And he said, I want you to live in heaven with me. So, Brother Davis, how do I do that? The Word of God says this. If you realize you're a sinner, and you realize God paid for your sins, He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You mean, Brother Davis, before I leave this building today, I could know Jesus as my Savior? That's right. Do I have to join the church? No. Do I have to give any money to anybody? No. Do I have to get baptized? No. Do I have to do something nice? Do I have to become a Boy Scout and help old ladies across the street? No. What do I do? You receive the gift that God wants you to have by accepting Christ as your Savior. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org.